Thank you for the book of James, Lord, for having your Holy Spirit give James these amazing words to write. I pray that this crucial truth about justification by faith alone, and then what James means by justification by works, Lord, that it would be clear this morning, and that we'd be strengthened by it. Help me. Give me clarity of mind. Help me love you more, love your word more, love, love this flock more, and help us all to, to grow through this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, let's turn to James chapter 2. We're going through a series. I know in the bulletin it says we're going to take this through July. We're definitely going to extend that. So that's all right, though. Uh, James 2, if you need a Bible, we'd like you all to have a Bible in front of you uh, so that you can study this with us. So go ahead and raise your hand. We'll pass one out to you. James 2 is on page 1012 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Before we, we dig into this passage, I want to help you get a feel for, for why this passage is so important. It's kind of controversial, very important passage. And I want to illustrate all this by telling you the story of Martin Luther. Okay, most of you know, some of you may not. Martin Luther was a, a Catholic German monk in the early 1500s. And uh, he knew that he was not trusting God Fully, and he wasn't loving God supremely. He knew that he had rebelled against God and that he faced God's just judgment. Martin Luther knew this very well. And he was deeply concerned, as he should be, and as we all should be. He was deeply concerned with, how can I, as a sinful man, be forgiven by God and come into God's love and favor and not face God's judgment? How can that happen for a sinful person like me? And so his... His first thought was, I've got to throw myself into religious duties and practices. And that's exactly what he did. With a, with a passion, he fasted, and he prayed, and he went to confession, and he did penance, and he gave alms, and he just devoted himself, threw himself into these religious practices. But as, as devoted as he was, no sense at all that anything was happening between him and God. No sense of forgiveness coming. No sense of God's love and favor coming. No sense that he was going to escape from God's judgment. Just like silence. But, good news. God loved Martin Luther. And God loves you. Do you know that? He loves you. He loved Martin Luther. And so God orchestrated events, just as he does in our lives, so that Martin Luther, who was a seminary professor, was assigned to teach the book of Romans to his seminary students. And so as he did with everything, he threw himself into studying the book of Romans and was blown away by verses like Romans 3.28. Do we have it up there? There it is. Romans 3.28. Here's what he read. For we hold that one is justified, which there in that verse means someone who was not righteous has now been counted completely righteous. Someone who was viewed as guilty by God now viewed as completely innocent, 100% righteous by God. So we hold that one is justified, counted as perfectly righteous by faith, apart from works of the law. Whoa! This blew his mind. All of his religious activity, 
all that work stuff, faith alone, that he could just turn and trust Jesus, and he who had been unrighteous would at that point by faith alone be counted completely, perfectly righteous? Yes, praise the Lord. So that's what Martin Luther did. He turned from trusting all of those religious activities and he turned and he he trusted Jesus. And he writes in one of his writings, the moment he trusted Jesus, he said it felt like paradise opened up. For the first time he felt forgiveness from God coming upon him. He experienced God's love, God's favor pouring into his heart and he knew by God's love and favor that he was freed from any judgment, any punishment from God ever. Wow. Okay, now, have you experienced that? Okay, we're going to come back to that point. Are you, are you still trying to be good enough to get something from God? Or have you turned from trusting those things and just Trust Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God. Receive him as your Savior. Receive him as your Lord, your authority. Receive him as your heart-satisfying treasure. Okay, so that's what Luther did. So you can imagine what an impact this verse would have had on him. But now imagine how troubling it would have been then, a few years later, when he starts throwing himself into studying the book of James. And he comes across James 2.24. Where James writes, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This deeply troubled Martin Luther. Can you feel why? Because it sounds like Paul and James are at odds. It sounds like they're contradicting each other. Which is why... Martin Luther had a little bit of trouble with the book of James. I think I've heard that in his Bible, he put, like, put it, it was the last book in his Bible. And, and here's what he wrote about it. It says, James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to them, that is, compared to Romans and other New Testament books, for it lacks this evangelical character. Now, at this time in Luther's life, Jan was asking me yesterday, because I've read commentaries, and I, I don't think Luther's right on this point. I think Paul and, Luther, Paul and James are like bosom buddies. I mean, the problem is they're using the word justify in two very different ways. I'll explain that in a moment. But Jan was asking, well, why didn't Luther see that? And at this point in Luther's life, he was basically running for his life every day because... You know, I mean, he had just posted the 95 Thesis on the church door at Wittenberg. The Protestant Reformation was starting, and, 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 and there was a bounty on his head. So he didn't have a lot of time, but he just read it and said, Ah, this isn't good. Put it back in my Bible. Okay, so I'm sure he and Paul have talked in heaven. They've got it all worked out now, all right? He and James. He and James, too. Okay, all right. So, so with that perspective, though, let's read now this, this section of James. James 2, 20-26. And then we'll, we'll dig in, and I want to show you how Paul and James are not at odds. So James 2, verses 20 and 26. Let's look at what James writes here. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. 
and the scripture was fulfilled that says, and he quotes from Genesis 15, 6 here, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, I think the Greek word spirit can also be translated breath or wind. I think what what James is saying is the body, apart from any breath, shows that it's dead. So also faith, apart from works, shows that the faith is dead. That's what's going on there. Okay, so James says we're, we're justified by works. It's right there. Now, when James talks about works, what he's talking about is love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus. So James would say that we are, we are justified by our obedience to Jesus, caring for the poor, forgiving your enemy, praying. James would say we're justified by works. But in Romans 3.28, Paul says we're justified not by works, but by faith. So what's going on? Okay. To figure this out, we've got to understand that the word justified in the New Testament is used in two very different ways. And uh, let's go ahead and kick up the next character turn, and the next, and the next, and the next. There we go. Okay. So I, I want you to see, we're, this picture was really helpful for me to think through, and it's in your notes, so just ponder this. You can ask some questions about it if we have time for questions towards the end. But you do know that, that one word, the same word, can have two very different meanings. You know that, right? Like, like I thought of the word bark. Okay, what it, bar, how many think bark means what a dog does when it's expressing himself? How many, is that, how many think that's what the word bark means? Come on. It means that, right? Okay, but how many think the word bark means like the exterior of a tree? Okay? Well, wait a minute. Which is it? Okay, it's both, all right? So the same, the exact same word can have two very different meanings. And that's what's going on here. The word justify can mean, on the one hand, uh, how someone who has been unrighteous is counted as righteous. How God counts an unrighteous person as righteous. The word justify can mean that. That's how Paul uses it most of the time. But the same word justify can also mean how you show that someone has already been counted as righteous. How someone's counted as righteous versus how someone is shown as having already been counted as righteous. Okay? Now, let me show you the difference. The crucial question we've all got to Got to ask, same question that Martin Luther asked. And that is, that is, how can you, how can me as a sinful man come to be on good terms with God? How is that possible? I mean, God's, God's perfect. Okay? He is flawless in his goodness. And he is matchless in his love. I mean, God is a fountain, just a gushing fountain of goodness and flawless love to us. And so because God's perfect, we are called to have complete trust in him, right? To love him supremely above everything else. And because he's perfect, we can only be welcomed by him if we've lived a life, if we've lived a life of complete trust in him, supreme love for him, a whole life of that the whole time. Has anyone here lived a life like that? I have not. I mean, even this morning, okay? I have not. But because God's perfect, because he's flawlessly loving, this the matchless fountain of good, 
to be welcomed by God, to be, to avoid God's judgment, we need to live lives of complete trust in Him, supreme love for Him. And none of us has. And all of us face God's judgment as a result. So how can any of us be welcomed by Him, forgiven by Him, accepted by Him, loved? It's not by trying to be good enough. Okay, Luther showed us that. But there's two reasons why that won't do it. One is, even, even if, from this point on, you could live a life of flawless trust in God and supreme love for Jesus Christ. What about that part of your life? Right? Oh, can't we just... No, you can't, okay? God's just. He sees your life. Hmm. So even if you could live perfectly, but, of course, there's another problem. Because of the sin that's in our hearts, none of us can become... Can, can, can trust God perfectly or love God supremely in, in, in the way that he deserves. I mean, we, 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 I've sinned this morning. You have too. Okay? So that's why we can't do it that way. So how can we then be on good terms with God? See, this is where we see God's love for us. I mean, if you doubt, and, and I know circumstances can make you doubt that God loves you, and the, Ernie was talking about delays, and, and we, we can doubt that God loves, but if you will look at the cross... That is the blazing picture of God's love for us because God was willing to send his own son, Jesus. He was willing to punish his own son, Jesus, in our place so that our sins could be completely forgiven. And Jesus lived a whole lifetime of complete trust in the Father and supreme love for the Father. Jesus' life was perfect Righteousness, And so here's what happens. This is an amazing thing. Here's how much God loves you. When you turn and put your trust in Jesus, when you turn from whatever else you were trusting, for your meaning, for your security, for your satisfaction, and you trust Jesus as your, as your Lord, I want to submit to you, Jesus. You trust him as your Savior. I can't save myself, just like we sang that song. Only you can save me. And you receive him as your heart-satisfying treasure. You are my treasure. Would you satisfy me with yourself. When when we trust Jesus in that way, the second we do that, you move from being a sinner in God's eyes to being perfectly righteous in God's eyes. The second before you trusted Jesus, God saw you as a sinful man, a sinful woman, and in his justice you deserved his judgment, and it was coming. But the moment, the, the second you put your trust in Jesus, He sees your life now as covered with Jesus' life. His flawless faith in the Father. His supreme love for the Father. He sees you as having a lifetime of perfect righteousness. And at that moment, everything changes. You sense God's love and favor for you. You feel his forgiveness of you. You know that the judgment that you faced, you'll never face. And everything changes. Okay, you got that? And then now, how does that justification happen? Is it by works? No. Okay, we got to work on this here, gang. Is it by faith? Yes, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. I I would guess some of you, oh, I hope hope this sounds like really good news to you, because some of you, I don't know you, I mean, I'm not saying this because I know you, but some of you really need to hear this. Because you have not understood that you can't make yourself good enough to get anything from God. 
the only way you can be accepted by God, welcomed by God, loved by God, forgiven by God, is by trusting His Son. And you've never trusted Jesus. You've gone to church, prayed, given to the poor, okay? But you haven't in your heart, you haven't had a, a heart connection with the living Jesus of trusting Him. Mm. Let today be the day, okay? <laughs> we may not hear anything, but huge changes would take place in your life. At that moment, heaven would be rejoicing. And you would tell us, we'd be happy too. Okay, now, so that's one question. How can we as sinful people be made right with God? By faith alone, through Christ alone. But there's another question. How can you tell if your faith is genuine? This is big. Because the only way you can be made right with God is by faith in Christ. What, what if you think you have faith and you don't? That's big. That's big, right? I mean, what if you're climbing up El Capitan and it'd be worth asking, is this a good rope? <laughs> did anybody test? No, did anybody test this rope? Okay, it's helpful to test things, right? Especially if your eternity hangs in the balance. And so we need to have a way of testing our faith. How can we tell if our faith is genuine? That's the question that James is focusing on in this passage. And James' answer is, by works. Are our hearts changed? Are we obeying Christ? Not, not perfectly, but is there a pattern of growing obedience to Jesus and a pattern of when we sin, we repent and cry out to him and seek to get back on the right path again? Is that the pattern of our lives? That's works. And James means... When he talks about how works justify, he doesn't mean that works are what counts us as perfectly righteous before God. He means works are what shows that our faith is genuine, which means we already have been counted as perfectly righteous before God. I know that's a mouthful, okay? But, but it's all right there, and it's in your notes, okay? So you just read it and try to take it in. Now, um, so that, that's what James is talking about. Now, I, I thought of an illustration I hope this works. Um, let's say that you wanted to get on a train going up to watch the Giants game. Okay? And, uh, and you, you wanted to get a seat on the train. You'd need money, right? And you'd go to the little ticket booth and you'd, you'd put your charge card in, or let's say cash makes the illustration better. You put cash in. And so by paying that money, you get a place on the train, right? But then the little machine gives you something to show you that you've got a place in the train. What does it give you? A ticket. Okay, there's cash and there's the ticket. Those are different. Okay, the ticket shows that the price was paid to get the place on the train. Um, if you don't have a ticket, can you get on the train? No, you got to have the ticket. But the ticket isn't what bought the place on the train. The ticket shows that you have bought what's the, the place on the train. Are we together? Okay. Same with justification and with Christ. Jesus paid the price, and when we trust him, our place on the train going to heaven is purchased. Okay? All right. Now, when we generally trust Jesus, we get the ticket of works. Our hearts start to be changed. Right? 
We love Jesus. Not perfectly. There's ups and downs. But when we don't, oh, I'm sorry. You're glorious. We want to obey him. And we, we, we have a pattern of, of obeying him. But when we don't, then we, we're broken. Jesus, we don't, want to, we don't want to dishonor you. We want to obey you. Help us. So it's not perfect works. It's progressive, growing, repentant works. That's the ticket. So can you see in your mind, the ticket is not the money. Works is not the faith. But the works show the faith. And if you don't have the works, you won't get in, because it shows that you didn't have the faith, which is the only way that you can get in. I hope, I hope you get that. I know it's a lot. But see, this is, this is, see, this is the foundation of your entire Christian life. If we don't get this, we're just going to be all confused, and it's just, it's going to be a mess, okay? And I don't want us to be a mess. I don't want to be a mess. All right. So no messes here. All right. So now. So, Faith justifies, if you take the word justify as how we're counted as perfectly righteous. Works justifies, this is what James is talking about in chapter 2, by which he means this is how we show that our faith is genuine, which shows then that we've already been counted as perfectly righteous. Now, what I want to show you, though, is that even though James uses the word justify in this sense, and this is what he's talking about in chapter 2, James also teaches what Paul taught. Just not, he doesn't use the word justify for it. So James teaches both of these truths here in chapter 2. Isn't this cool? It'll be even cooler when you see it. Okay, now. So James teaches that, like Abraham, we are counted as perfectly righteous by faith alone. Okay, here's the situation. Abraham, we read in the, in, in the book of Genesis, was a moon worshiper. Or no, we read it as an idol, an, an idol worshiper. I, I, I like to think of it as being a moon worshiper because it helps me see it more specifically. But anyway, he was an, an idolater. So he had rebelled against God. He faced God's judgment. And so how could Abraham, sinful Abraham, become perfectly righteous before God? Look at what James himself says in chapter 2, verse 23, where he quotes Genesis fifteen six. Here's how Abraham came to be perfectly righteous before God. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So here's what this means. The moment Abraham turned from his idols and turned and trusted God, Jesus the Messiah wasn't as clear back then in Genesis, but trusted God as his Savior, as his Lord, as his treasure. And at that moment, when Abraham did that, God looked ahead to what Jesus would do on the cross in paying for all of Abraham's sins, looked at Jesus' lifetime of perfect moral righteousness, and God counted Abraham's faith as Jesus' lifetime of perfect moral righteousness. So before Abraham trusted God, he was seen by God as a sinner, guilty of and deserving of his punishment. The moment that Abraham first put his trust in God's mercy, at that moment, he was seen by God as having a lifetime of being a man who is perfectly morally righteous because of what Jesus would do. So do you see right here in verse 23, this is what James himself teaches. This is what Luther experienced. Do you see that? What Luther experienced is what Abraham experienced, is what James is celebrating. That's why James and Paul are bosom buddies. And that's why the, like Martin Luther's talked to both of them and they're all friends in heaven because, because of this verse right here. You know, this is a crucial truth that we, we've got to learn how to use in our lives. 
the, the reality that the only way I can be accepted by God is by faith in Christ alone. I should never try to earn status or welcome from God, status before God or welcome from God by my obedience. So some of you may be saying, I, I, I'm just too sinful. I'm just too sinful. You don't know what my past is like. I'm just too sinful to ever be accepted by God. And that's true if it wasn't for Jesus. That would be absolutely true if God hadn't loved us enough to punish his own son in our place. But because of what God has done in Jesus, it's not true that you're too sinful to ever be accepted by God. Okay? So if you will, what? What do you need to do then? What do you need to do? What, wouldn't it help? What if I like, started going to church a little bit first? And like, I could clean up a couple areas of my life. I mean, what if I, maybe I should do that first. Would that help? No. Thank you. No! Okay? Turn and trust Jesus. Just turn and trust Jesus as you are. Jesus, I, I trust you. I believe, help my unbelief. That may be part of it. I trust you. I receive you. Savior, Lord, treasure. And the moment that you do that, you'll be transformed in your status before God from a sinful man, a sinful woman, to a completely, perfectly righteous man or woman because of Jesus. And as you're trusting Jesus, trust in Jesus, your heart will start to change. And your trust in Jesus and his presence in your life will start to bring about changes in you. Yes, there's the ticket. The works will start to flow, showing that your faith was genuine. Okay? All right. Now, so that's the truth that James teaches here. Just like Abraham, we are counted as perfectly righteous by faith alone. So James, oh well, James taught the one that was on the left, okay? He teaches that faith justifies. He doesn't use the word justified to mean that, but he does teach just like Paul does, that the only way we can be accepted by God, the only way we can be counted righteous before God, is by faith alone in Christ alone. And James also wants to teach that just like Abraham and Rahab, our works show that our faith is genuine, which shows we've already been counted as perfectly righteous. Look at verse 21. Here's Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What does the word justified mean there? Wasn't his faith shown as genuine by works? Okay, so that means, okay, put this, write this down in your margin somewhere. That's, what, that's what's being talked about here. And how is your faith shown as genuine? By works. Okay, so here's what happened with Abraham. God had poured his love out upon Abraham. God had flawlessly provided for Abraham, guided Abraham, protected Abraham, loved Abraham, satisfied Abraham with his presence, comforted Abraham, taken care of Abraham. Every promise God had made to Abraham, God had fulfilled. Uh, God promised Abraham he would have a child by Sarah when they were both in their like 90s. Okay? And Abraham had a child by Sarah when they were both in their 90s. I mean, God had a flawless track record of faithfulness to Abraham. Every promise fulfilled. Abraham had no reason ever to doubt God, no reason to be disappointed with God at all. But then one day God said something to Abraham that was, I'm sure, very difficult. I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son whom you love, through whom I've promised 
to, to bring salvation to every people group on the face of the earth because the great, 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 great grandson of Isaac is going to be Jesus. I want you to take this son Isaac. I want you to take him to the top of the mountain and kill him and offer him as a burnt offering. So up to that point, everything God had said was flawlessly true, faithful, good, right, and loving. So Abraham's response now is going to show whether he's trusting God or not. Right? It's going to show whether he's trusting God or not. If he trusts God, what will he do? He'll go ahead with the plan. If he says, no, I'm not going to do that, what's he showing? He's not trusting God. So what did Abraham do? We don't read anything about what happened in his heart or if he had any struggle. We don't know. But we do know what he did. He said, okay. And the moment that he was ready to slay his son, God said, stop. Stop. And God provided him another animal to sacrifice. And Abraham and Isaac, with a spring in Abraham's steps for sure, went back down the mountain. Okay, you can imagine. But see, can you see how this works? How Abraham's works show that he was trusting God. That's the ticket. He wasn't, he wasn't counted as righteous before God by his works. That's by faith alone. But his trust was shown as genuine by his works. Okay, then Rahab, verse 25, another example. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So what's going on here? Rahab. Love the story of Rahab. Um, Rahab lived in Jericho. Okay, she was a prostitute. But she had heard about what God had done for the nation of Israel. Amazing story. Everybody was talking about it. How mighty signs and wonders that God had just rocked Egypt so that Pharaoh relented and said, Go! And then they went, and then how God parted the Red Sea. Everybody was talking about that. And Israel went across, and then Pharaoh's armies went across, and boom, waters came back, all of them drowned. How God provided water in the wilderness for these, you know, what, a million people? And manna for these people, and brought them fresh quail. Every, whenever it was, night? Anyway, I forget, but anyway, for these people. So uh, they're all talking about it. Rahab had heard about God, and she knew this is the true God. So she turned from her idols And she put her trust in God. And the moment she did that, Rahab, the prostitute, was counted as a completely righteous, perfectly, flawlessly righteous woman before God. Heart was changed. Turned away from her prostitution. Didn't become perfect, but she was changed. Okay? And one of the ways we know her faith is genuine, one of the ways she would have known her faith was genuine was by what she she did here. It's by works, okay? She lived in the city of Jericho. Jericho was a godless, I mean, a, a horrifyingly wicked city. And God said, I've got to destroy it. They're so wicked. And so God had spent two, two spies in to do reconnaissance. And the spies came and lived in Rahab's house. While they were there, the king found out that these two spies were there. King said to send a messenger to Rahab, Rahab, bring the spies to me. So, they're God's spies. She knows God would want her to help them escape. King wants her to bring them to him. What's she going to do? Okay? 
her response will show whether her faith, whether she's really trusting God or not. All right? So if she obeys God and helps the spies to escape, that'll show that she's trusting God. Might cost her something with the king, but she's going to trust God and, and leave her and, and trust God to take care of her with the king. If she disobeys God and, and goes with the king, that'll show she's not trusting God. And what did she do? She obeyed God, helped the spies. She hid the spies, okay, under some hay, and then she helped them to, to escape. So see, James is teaching us that just like Abraham and Rahab, our works show that our faith is genuine. Okay, now again, not perfect works. No one this side of heaven will ever perfectly trust Jesus or supremely love Jesus all the time. None of us will. So, so do you all hear me say that? Okay, this is really important. This is not perfect works, but it's growing works. It's repentant works when we see that we've disobeyed. It's a longing to obey Christ in every area he commands. That's the heart change that comes from faith. Okay, so let's apply this to our lives, this, this, this point here. What do you do when you, when you see an area of sin in your life? Okay, something just where you're, like you haven't forgiven someone. Uh, let's just say, for example, what do you do? Well, what James would tell us is we can't just blow it off and say, well, I'm fine, I'm saved. Okay, I'm saved because I, I prayed the prayer back X number of years ago or whatever. You know, I go to church, I mean, I'm a home group leader, or I'm a pastor, I've got to be saved, right? We can't do that. Because, see, our faith is shown as genuine by the way we live, by our works, by our works. So we can't just blow it off. Alarm bells should go off. Am I trusting Jesus? Got the rope for, you know, El Capitan? Is this really rope? Is this really faith? And so alarm bells should go off. And so then what do you do? Okay? I need to be forgiving. Forgiveness should be an outflow of my life. And we're not talking about perfection here, but this should be the, I should be growing in this area, longing to forgive, seeking. So what do you do? What you don't do is take the path of willpower moralism, for lack of better words, where you just say, okay, I've, I've got to forgive. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really, I'm, I'm just, okay, I'm going to forgive this person. I'm, okay. Mm. <laughs> Try one more time. Mm, okay. That's not what you do. Because, can we go back to the, to the two-column picture up there? Show you something really, really crucial here. Two slides back, I think. There you go. Faith results in works, right? Look at this in James 2. There's three different ways that James helps us see this. Um, Verse 22. Faith was active along with his works. I think the Greek behind that means that faith was the power producing the works. Next line, faith was completed by his works. Faith starts something which flows out into works. And then the scripture was fulfilled that talks about Abraham's faith. So works are the fulfillment of faith. Faith results in works. So if I, have, if I don't have the work of forgiving someone, how do I get it? By faith. Do you see? This is so crucial. Uh, Genesis 5, 6. Faith works itself out in love. Where does love come from? Faith in Jesus. 
uh, Romans 1, 5, Romans 16, 26, Paul talks about the obedience of faith. That is the obedience that comes from faith. So when you see that you're lacking an area of obedience to Christ, don't use willpower moralism to try to get it back. Turn back and put your trust in Jesus because it's trust in Jesus that results in the works. Here's how I experienced this. Uh, Friday, I was feeling really worried about something. I mean, un- unusually worried about something. Who had the word this morning about not being anxious? Where's Deanna? Deanna. Where, there you are. That's a good one. Philippians 4. So I was really worried. And Jesus says, don't worry. Right? So worry, did you realize that like worry is, is, is disobeying Christ? And he says that with love for you. He says, trust me, stop worrying. Anyway, I'll talk about that in some other sermon. But the point is, I was worrying. And, uh, and so that worry shows that there's a lack of works in my life. Uh, there was not a display. Like, where, where was that ticket that I thought I had, right? Okay, it's one of these things going on. Ha, huh, I, I know I put it somewhere, you know. I got the ticket. And so... Alarm bells went off, and I said, as soon as I can, I I need to come back and do what? Not just like, okay, the grass is always greener, or uh, what are some other ones that, you know, crying over spilled milk, or or not like, uh, you know, positive thinking, or look on the bright side. That's not it. That's not Christianity. That's, That's a false religion. Christianity is Jesus. I'm not trusting you for this situation right now. Forgive me. You are flawlessly trustworthy. You love me. You have power. I don't see how this is going to be a good thing. But it's not my pay grade. You see it. You know, you see it. Forgive me. Help me. And what happened Friday, I don't overstate this, but as I, as I, I, I used Psalm 86, 4 and 5. This is one of my go-to verses. Anyway, just jot it down. I won't, just for the sake of time, you can look at it. But it talks about how God is good. He's ready to forgive. He's, he, you can, you'll forgive me for my, my worry right now. And he's abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Anyway, God changed my heart. As I trusted Jesus, faith, he increased my faith. He poured his peace and assurance upon me. And worry diminished and peace increased. And faith resulted in works. Not, not perfect works. I've, I've worried since Friday about the same thing. Got some worry time in on Saturday on it. Had to, had to you know, trust the Lord again. It's a battle, right? But you see what we're talking about here? So this, this is what James wants us to get. So, okay, just three quick takeaways and then see if we have any questions. Um, first takeaways, if you're talking to somebody and they say, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions and one of them is that Paul says we're justified by faith alone and James says, no, we're justified by works. You can explain to them, I know it looks that way, but just like the word bark in English language, the word justify means two different things. You can see that from the context and then just go ahead and share the gospel with them. Okay? All right. Second takeaway is, um, yeah, if you feel like you're too sinful to be accepted by God, and uh, I think every one of us feels that way from time to time. And if you do feel that way, you're not alone, okay? Uh, because we do, I mean, if, you've never, if, you've ne- if you have not met Christ yet and been justified and accounted as perfectly righteous, here's good news. But if, even after you've been saved, we can fall back into feeling like, oh, I've sinned too much, and I've got I've to like, try to be good before you know, he could accept me. No, no, no. Wherever you are, you immediately turn to Jesus and trust him just as you are. Trust the living Jesus. Talk to him. 
Trust him. Receive him afresh into your life. And you'll be completely restored, forgiven, righteous. And then the third takeaway is when you find that you have areas of sin in your life, which you, you will today, okay? Just to be clear here, I will today. Ask my wife, okay? Uh, you will. This shows that there's a problem in your faith. And in fact, Jesus is showing you this because he wants you to see, okay, well, there's a problem here. I, let me help you. So don't just grit your teeth. Don't just use your own willpower to try to you know, manufacture obedience. It flows from faith. So turn and put your trust back in Jesus. Trust him. Talk to him. Ask him for help. Set your heart on who he is as revealed in the scriptures. Ask him to change you. Ask him to mold you. Ask him to, to fill you. And he'll change your heart. And you'll, you'll sense his presence. You'll, you'll, you'll experience his love. And you will find that your works, your obedience is growing. That's how it works. Okay, what, what questions does this raise? Yeah, I think, I mean, most, most people, if you ask them on the street if they believe in Jesus, maybe not most, but many would say, oh yeah, yeah, of course I do, you know. But for them it's just like an intellectual agreement at some level, right? And even, I mean, maybe some of you, what you think is faith is that you agree that Jesus is the Son of God and that you agree that he died on the cross to pay for sins and that you agree that he's coming back again. But see, the demons agree with all of those things too. They would pass the multiple choice test on all those. But what are they not doing? They're not trusting Jesus. They're not trusting him. They're not in taking their life and saying, I'm going to entrust my entire life, Jesus, to you. There it is. Take it. Guide it. Satisfy me in it. Forgive me for it. But I'm going to give you my life. And that's what the demons don't do. So it's really crucial. That's a really important question. Like... Uh, okay, I, I, I'm losing my patience with, with my kids. And, and, uh, and Paul says, be patient. Okay, be patient. So scripture says, be patient. Or, or let's use the anger one. That's an explicit verse. Don't, you know, um, how does that go again? Don't let the sun go Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Okay, the sun's, ah, it's going down. And um, okay, so I'm using scripture. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Don't. So don't. How do you do? Don't. Don't. And see, every command in the scripture is meant to direct us to Jesus. That's just just what it comes down to. Um, There's a promise in the context of every command that will point you to who Jesus is. There's truth about Jesus. Let me flip it around. Uh, Apart from abiding in Christ, what can you do? Nothing. Nothing, John 15. So you mean you have to abide in Christ to get rid of your anger? Yes, and everything else he calls us to do. So if you can do nothing apart from abiding in Christ, then what do you need to do to do anything? Abide in Christ. So we can use scripture just as another kind of a Christian platitude, Christian slogan to do willpower moralism. And we think it's not because it's a verse. Don't just take commands out and like willpower them. Boy, that's really, that's a good question, isn't it? Nailed it, okay. Is that short enough? Yes, exactly. Oh, John, that's good, man. I think, is it, is it Colossians? Uh, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
Uh, there it is, Colossians 2.6. Does that sound like the verse you're referring to? Okay, that's, jot that down. It's a great verse. Thanks for mentioning that. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Same way. Helpless, I can't do anything. I trust you. And then as you trust him and as there's a connection, he starts to change your heart and, and, and the fruit will flow, the works will flow, the obedience will flow. Thank you. Follow up? Yes. Okay, okay. All right, we should stop because of the picnic. <laughs> So let's stand. Let me pray this over us. If you would like to meet the Lord this morning, we'd love to pray with you. You can come up here afterwards and we'll pray. If right now God is looking at you as a sinful man or a sinful woman and you haven't yet been justified in the sense of being counted by God as completely righteous because of Jesus through faith in him, we'd love to pray with you for that. Um, If maybe you've been saved but you are weighed down by a sense of your sinfulness, and you just need some prayer just that you could see God's mercy afresh, see the cross afresh, have a fresh outpouring of his love and forgiveness just so there's a fresh assurance. We'd love to pray for you for that. Maybe there's an area of, like you're keenly aware this morning, of the, the lack of works in your life, in James' sense of the word, an area of sin, area of disobedience that's ongoing. We'd love to pray for you just that you can trust Jesus and that he'll pour out his spirit and start to, start to produce the fruit and produce the, the, the obedience. So Lord, we pray for these things. We love your word. Thank you for James giving us this passage. Thank you for justification by faith alone, Christ alone, being counted as completely, 100% flawlessly righteous because of Jesus through trusting him. And, and thank you, Lord, that you give us a way to test our faith, to test our faith, to see if it's genuine by looking at, at, at the works, at the obedience in our lives, and that that comes through faith too. So help us, Lord. We've all got different responses to this. And I pray that you, in your sovereignty, by your spirit, would would touch our hearts and strengthen us with what we need to be touched by and strengthened in. Come and do that now, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.